Welcome to Muskegon History and Beyond with the Lakeshore Museum Center. My name is Pat Horn. On today's episode, we are going to examine one of the worst fires in the history of the city of Muskegon. With all of the lumber at the sawmills in the 1800s Muskegon, fires were a frequent issue and concern. However, the second most devastating fire in Muskegon's history began in a barn and would go on to spread and to destroy 17 blocks. Today, we are going to look at the devastating Pine Street Fire of 1891. As I mentioned in the intro, Muskegon was no stranger to fires. With all the sawmills along the lake, wooden sidewalks, and wooden buildings, fire was always a concern. The fire we are talking about today is not called the Pine Street Fire or the Great Muskegon Fire, but rather the Pine Street Fire of 1891. To separate it from other fires, most notably the Pine Street Fire of 1874, which ranks as Muskegon's third worst fire. The Pine Street Fire of 1891 occurred in a rough period for Muskegon. At this time, the sawmills were starting to close down, and there was a real concern over what the fate of the city would be, even before flames destroyed a large chunk of the business district. As we know, the city would go on, but the areas destroyed would never return to their former glory. The fire began around 2.30 in the afternoon on Saturday, May 16th. While its cause is unknown, the paper reported that it began in a barn behind the Cummings House, which was a boarding house slash hotel at the time. It was located along Clay Avenue between Spring and Pine Street, behind where Capone's speakeasy is today. The barn was quickly a raging fire, helped by the very dry conditions that had occurred in the last few weeks in Muskegon. In part because of these dry conditions, the flames started to spread quickly. A wind blowing from the north across Muskegon Lake to the south also pushed the fire along Pine Street. At this point, the fire bells rang and Hose Company No. 3 responded. They quickly called for assistance from Hose Company No. 1 and told them to bring the chemical engine, a fire wagon which used chemical substances to create pressure through a reaction that would push water out of its tank. Think of a baking soda and vinegar volcano pushing water with its eruption. The firemen tried to keep the fire contained to the block it started in, however the wind was too strong and was blowing embers several hundred feet down the street, catching other houses on fire. There were several close calls with firemen almost getting caught and having to jump off of roofs before the houses they were on were caught up in a blaze. The flames would eventually become so intense that houses would burn completely to the ground in less than an hour. The firefighters managed to keep the fire contained along Pine Street initially and managed to make Spring Street a fire break. However, on the western side of Pine Street, the fire managed to jump across at Webster Avenue and burn many businesses and houses between Pine and Terrace. As the fire kept spreading, more hose companies arrived and messages were sent to all nearby fire units. Even the workers at the nearby Ryerson Sawmill assisted by connecting their steam engine and tugboats to the city water mains to help with pumping. Even with the extra help, the wind was blowing too strongly to halt the flames and people began to panic, grabbing as many things as they could carry, loading them onto wagons and carts that neighbors and other residents brought. These wagons would drive out of the danger zones and drop off their cargo before returning. Sometimes these goods were found once the fire was put out, but for many, they never again saw what they had loaded into the wagons. The flames continued on Pine Street, heading to where the courthouse is located today. At that time, it was also the site of the county courthouse building. When the fire had initially started, court was in session and a jury was deliberating on a verdict when they were interrupted by word that a juror's house was on fire. The juror asked Judge Dickerman if he could be dismissed to run home. However, the judge wanted a verdict, 
so the jury quickly debated and decided on a verdict, hardly waiting for the judge to dismiss them before they ran out. The courthouse would soon fall victims to the flames when embers from the fire landed on the roof and in the bell tower. When it was discovered that the courthouse was on fire, there was a mad scramble to remove as much as possible from it before it burned down. The firefighters tried to extinguish the flames, but they couldn't reach the bell tower or top of the roof. As a result, the building burned from the top down and the roof collapsed, destroying the building. It was later discovered that the vaults of the courthouse survived the flames and destruction, and most of the documents inside them were also saved. Past the courthouse, the flames continued to spread until they reached Ionia Avenue, past the current Muskegon County office complex. By the time the fires reached Ionia, it was around 8.30 p.m. and the winds had died down, allowing the firemen to get a grip on the flames and stop them from spreading. It would take the firemen working overnight until 2 a.m. to finally put out all the flames, though. The glow of embers would last for a few nights more, with many spectators coming to see the devastation. An article in the Chronicle paints a picture of this, quote, After dark, crowds were viewing the burnt districts, and a glow in many places showed that the ruins were still sullenly burning. It was a scene of desolation emphasized by these touches of fire and flame. When the damage was inspected, 17 blocks had been burned down, many of those at the heart of the business district. Caught in the fire was Clooster's and Wakima's hardware shop, a confectionery or candy store, flour and feed stores, a bakery, a salon, a meat market, a watch repair shop, a shoe store, a hat shop, two ice houses, one of which managed to partially save its melted ice and rebuild walls around it, hotels, and a machine shop, among many other different businesses. There were also two blocks of streetcar tracks that were destroyed by the heat of the flames and had bulged and been twisted. The total cost was estimated at $500,000 in 1891's money, which today is near $14 million, quite the toll on a city, especially as Muskegon was already facing tough times. Some 250 buildings had also been destroyed by the flames. While I saw reports of many injuries, it seems no one was killed thanks to the effort of the firefighters. After the fire, many funds were set up to help those who had lost homes. Enterprising merchants also tried to make the best of it, putting together stalls from scraps of wood, with one grocer offering sales on quote-unquote wet groceries. While some businesses would rebuild, the area destroyed would never fully recover. Even in 1916, the paper mentions empty lots and scattered businesses. I would like to thank you for listening to Muskegon History and Beyond, and we will be back next week, Wednesday, for another episode. 